Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that we're here in your house of worship, Lord. Father, I know it's okay, Lord, to ask these things of you in front of this church, Lord God. We're hurting sometimes, Lord God, and we can be broken, Lord God. And we know that you are in control, Lord God, and we ask that you take control right now, Lord God, in circumstances and situations, Lord God, that are conflicting, Lord God, that are worrisome, Lord God, that are fearful, Lord God. We pray that you take this away, Lord, that you come in, you take charge, you take control, you take command, you give us peace, Lord. I lift up this church family to you, Lord. There's many different things going on right now, Lord God, and we know that you are in the midst of it all, that you are here, that you are a loving, sovereign God, and that you have a reason and a purpose for us, Lord God, and we know that nothing in this world happens by mistake, Lord God. You brought us to these storms, Lord God, and we pray that you bring them through us, Lord. I lift up this church family, I lift up this time, in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus, you've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Lord, and we call on you, Lord Jesus. We call on you right now in this place, in your name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, church family. I'm really glad to see everybody this morning. I'm sorry, I hope that was okay. I was inspired. Uh, well, I'm going to do some announcements. I've got some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we have some, a lot of exciting things coming up. We've got, uh, let's see, next Saturday morning is our first of many monthly men's breakfast. We're going to be at the Dancing Tomato, 8 a.m. next Saturday. Clear your schedule. That's Saturday, November 6th for the men. I don't know what the ladies are working on, but I'm sure that they're going to be working on something. And uh, But for right now, the men are, we, we did officially create a date, and we're going to launch on, uh, on Saturday. Also, just an update, we met with the youth one time last week, and that was amazing. We had a good time with the young adults. Uh, it was great to have a few of the young adults here who were raised up and grew up in this church and have them here. It was very encouraging, and we're going to continue to pray over that ministry. We're going to continue to pray over those young adults' lives and get them back in here on Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's see. We also have coming up. There it is. Next Sunday, this is for everybody, men, women, your children, your family, people that you want to invite, anybody that you can. We did it about a year and a half ago, maybe a little longer now, but we're going to meet at Roundtable Pizza in the Rayleigh's parking lot, Highway 99 and Bridge Street. Uh, we're going to meet for pizza, and we're going to get the big room, and we're going to fellowship, and you can get to know one another, because we all know that we want to see your horrible eating habits. Just kidding. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing more like breaking bread and sitting down and getting to know people. It's a lot different than, the, than what we have in here at the fellowship that goes on Sunday morning. But the fellowship that we have as a church family outside here is what makes us grow deeper in our faith, deeper in our relationships, and deeper that we're going to grow to build this church for His kingdom. Amen? Amen. So I encourage everybody to come out next Sunday, November 7th, from noon to 2. We're making it at noon, so that gives you a little bit of time to get your stuff together, say hello, goodbye to everybody, and make your way over there, and we give the band a little bit of time to break down as well. So um, with that, oh, also... We highly encourage you to continue to be faithful in your giving and your tithing. Um, as you can see, we're a small church, and sometimes I grew up where it was like eighty percent of the eighty percent of the work was done by twenty percent of the people, and eighty percent of the giving was done by twenty percent of the people. But I highly encourage yourself to make yourself part of that twenty percent. You know, let, let's do it. Let's give abundantly. God is going to bless us. God wants to bless the faithful giver. It's not about how much you give right.
right now. It's about the fact that you do give from the heart. That's what God's looking at. God is looking at your heart. So I encourage you to be faithful in your tithing and your giving. Uh, with that, I'm going to lift this up one more time to you. Father, I just thank you for our church family. I thank you for our service. I thank you for our Pastor Mark. I thank you for Pastor Jill. I thank you for everybody that's here, the firm foundations that you planted in this church. You know who you are. Father, I just thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our service today. I thank you that you continue to bring new people and bring new life into the church, Lord God, because you are a river of flowing water, Lord God, and we pray that you continue to flow the water out of this church, Lord God. I thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And here's Pastor Mark. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> where it looks like it's aiming is not where I really care to broadcast. <laughs> I see you. Um, um, Chris, it's okay. Thank you uh, so much. I, I want to say thank you, uh, Jill and Chris and Bibi. Now, it's funny, we, we didn't talk about this till this morning, but. Uh, last week, you blessed us with uh, gifts and cards and notes and a variety of things. And in my 43 years of pastoring, it was actually the, the largest uh, expression in terms of cards and notes and things I've never received. Usually it's, you know, some money, but not expressions. And it was just really neat. And, and I didn't know until this morning that. The Jackson household did the same thing as the O'Connells, that Jill sat down with the bag and one by one opened them and read the card and then read the note or whatever it was, the letter, and said who it was from. And it was very touching. And it turns out that BB did the same thing. Maybe because I can't see. And did I pick the podium that falls down? We'll know in a minute. Anyway, thank you for that. That was uh, deeply moving. So today, oh, and by the way, next Sunday, the pizza thing, we'll also be celebrating our second year, completion of second year. It was the first week of November, two years ago, that I got up and spoke. We're in this together. Yeah. <laughs> Did I know that was a prophetic sermon? It was pathetic and prophetic. Um, because little did we know what COVID would do. And uh, yeah. you know what? We're still standing. Yes, we are. And yeah. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Stand. So we're talking about David. We heard about him. Uh -huh. Just because of your sheer exhaustion, I'm going to finish next week with I am David. But today I want to pick up where I left off, which was David the Waiting King. I will tell you, uh, one of the most difficult things for me as an individual has been those seasons of waiting. I, I don't like them. Uh, when the Lord gives me a sense of here's where I'm taking you, here's where you're going to go, here's what we're going to do, uh, I, I'm ready, okay, if I say yes, I want to start this afternoon. And the waiting season is never a fun season. And it is very difficult for the waiting, uh, to not have a waiting season, become a sinning season. It's, it can happen very easily 
that that season becomes a season that, because of impatience, you can take things into your own hand. And in doing that, you'll say, well, what does it matter? Well, it shows you're not trusting God. And God is a God of miracles. But he's also a God of timing. And when he gives us a promise, he doesn't always say, it's a week from Tuesday. If he did, sometimes it would scare us. Jill and I got married 40 years ago on a Sunday during Sunday morning church because we were pastors, number one, and we thought it would be really good if we, since our people were already there, they would have to come an extra day. But the real reason was the one great reception facility in Sonora was booked every Saturday for several years. But Sunday, nobody wants it on Sunday, so we'll take it. So we got married on November 8th, 1981, and uh, went off to Hawaii, and came back uh, from Hawaii, and I went to work on Monday morning, and there was a note from my boss, our senior pastor, meet me in the, my study. And I found out that while I was gone, the two weeks that we were gone, we had sold our church. And, we had already purchased 108 acres, and G. Lee Thomas looked at me and said, here's the deal. We have to be out of this building in six months. So one of us has to devote our time to developing the project up on the hill. And one of us needs to take over our school and be the principal. Which do you want? That's what he said to me. And I thought about it for a nanosecond. I said, well, let's see. You were a pastor. You were out of ministry for six or seven years. What did you do then? Oh, you were a contractor and a property developer. It kind of seems natural that maybe you take over the project. Well, that's the answer he wanted me to say. He just let me come to that conclusion, right? And so at 25, I was now a principal of a school. I had trained for it. I had gone back to that church with, someday you might become this. I sensed that someday I might become this. But if God would have said to me, at 25, this transition is going to happen, I would have been afraid. So I wasn't told the time. Does that, that make sense? Sometimes the waiting goes the other way. Sometimes you think, I'm ready. Move over. Get out of my way. And the people in your way don't move over and get out of your way. And the challenge is, how do you sit back and trust God to enable the timing to be proper? This is the challenge of David, and we talked about that last week. Because, let me just recap, some very quick recaps. There was a delay between the anointing that he received, David received, by Samuel... And when God formally appointed him as king and removed Saul. Notice I said that God removed Saul. Now David had opportunities to take it into his own hand. Numerous times he could have done it. And 
his men, loyal men, wanted to do it for him. Well, we understand you can't, because that wouldn't look good on your resume, killed former king. But we'll do it for you. No, no, don't raise your hand against the Lord's anointing. If God wants me there, he will make a way and enable me to become the king. That's a tough season when the spear is right there. That is a tough season to sit back and not grasp something that's not yours to grasp at that particular moment. Even when you've had a promise from God that it is yours. The second thing we talked about last week was during the delay, David, and he's been anointed as king, and I'll call him the king in waiting. Is that okay if we refer to him as that? Uh, he's confronted with the issue of Saul and his unrighteous authority. And he's confronted with it in the worst way. This guy tries to kill him for pretty much like 10 chapters of the Bible. You know, there's less devoted to creation than there is to, <laughs> to Saul going after David. Is that? I mean, it became something that he faced. But to David's credit, he responded righteously to an unrighteous ruler. This is one of the traits of David that made him a great man and made him a great leader and qualified him to be entrusted with authority as a king. I told you last week, for any pastor, there are two tough sermons because you know the crowd is going to be a tough crowd. Number one is tithing. Talk to me about Jesus as Lord, except of my money. Don't touch that, Pastor. And the other is authority. We are a country, I shared this last week, that was birthed in rebellion. I am from a generation that grew up in rebellion. It became the badge of honor. And then suddenly when we were in our 50s, oh, we're in charge. What happened? We flipped the switch. Listen to authority. I watch it in my work environment. I watch it in leadership that rebelled and rebelled and rebelled against authority in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Now that they've risen to it, it's a thumb-on situation. There are four truths about authority. I'm not going to get a lot of amens today, but that's okay. Number one, submission to authority distinguishes the righteous from the unrighteous. Submission to authority distinguishes the righteous from the unrighteous. Romans chapter 10, I think I just referenced this in your notes. I'll read it to you. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Back in the 70s, when I was traveling back and forth from the San Francisco airport to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to attend Oral Roberts University, I had this very, very durable 
Samsonite luggage that was, I can't, I, I'm a man, and so I don't do colors. I know black and white, and when you say chartreuse and beige and tone, I don't know what those are. I, I, I get brown. I get that. So, so we'll say it was a red suitcase. It, it wasn't really red, but we'll say it was. But plastered on it was a really bright orange sticker in, with black print that said, Jesus is Lord. No one ever stole my suitcase. <laughs> no one ever reached for it out of the carousel to pick it up and say, oops, I got the wrong. No one ever did that. Not one. Now, I thought that was pretty cool that I had the Jesus is Lord bumper sticker on my luggage. But I'm going to tell you this, friends. A bumper sticker on your luggage doesn't make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's right. That's right. You see, Jesus came not just to be our Savior, because we all want to be saved. We all want to be saved. But you'll notice at the end of most of our services, we'll pray some prayer and we'll say something along the lines, if you prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord, Lord of your life. life. Why? Because that's where it changes. What separates a believer from an unbeliever, the righteous from the unrighteous, is openly declaring, living out, fleshing out, that Jesus is Now, there's a couple of parables. One is in Matthew 25, where three uh, servants are given three different amounts to care for. You know the story, the talents. And what happens at the end for two of them? They hear this wonderful thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. When there's a servant, that means there's a master, or there's a Lord. One of the things that distinguishes us as believers is our response to authority. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, we're living in an unrighteous thing, an unrighteous time, and, you know, whatever. I get that. I'm not asking you to submit to authority. This is a caveat. It's really not part of the sermon. I have to throw it in there because some of you are going to reject everything I say from here on out. Submission to authority doesn't mean submission to abuse. Or overuse. In many cases, if you're in submission to that kind of thing where you can remove yourself, you can quit that job if you have to. And you say, well, is that biblical? Well, let me see. I'm ordering the death of all infants to and under. Okay, let's see. I'm Joseph, my wife Mary. We have the son of God over here in the stroller. I think we'll leave the country. Flight is a biblical response. So are you okay? Will you, will you hang with me now? Will you let me get the rest of the truth about authority? In Luke 19, it's basically the same story, and it, instead of talents, it talks about minas, but it's, it's the same concept, the same principle. And in verse
verse 27 of Luke 19, it says, And for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king. You can replace that. In fact, in other translations, it will say, For enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their Lord. What happens when you don't want Jesus to be your Lord? Lordship implies authority. That we're saying, I give control of my life to you. Number two, in God's kingdom, and I know there should be an apostrophe S in there, so please fix it. I saw it too late in the day. In God's kingdom, our level of authority correlates to our level of submission. I'm going to share some painful things right now. Because one thing you get with me is transparency. I have feet of clay. I am human. I make mistakes. Some weeks I'm an okay pastor. Some weeks I'm a good pastor. Some weeks not so much. I was thinking back to a season of time. And I was thinking of why would I use these particular illustrations? Do I always go back to that season of time where God was using me in a different way than he has in recent months or even years? Now, part of it is opportunity. I understand that. Part of it is, I'll just be honest. I was in a season where I had more time and had more energy to put myself in a relationship with God that brought me close to Him because the closer I was to Him, the more authority I had. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when I say this is a painful point, but our level of authority correlates to our level of submission, it's true. Look at Jesus. Can you think of a better example than Jesus? He submitted to God. John 5.19 I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's pretty much an incredible level of submission. When you think that Jesus not only was the Son of God, he is God the Son. Not only was he submitted to God, he was submitted to his own mother. And I can think of two instances that are very clear about this. One was when he was 12. They'd gone down for the Passover. They'd done that every year. They went down, and, and apparently they went kind of as a clan. Now, I can't imagine the O'Connells leaving Jerusalem and leaving, not seeing Lindsay and just assuming she's with somebody in our family. But apparently, it was kind of customary because they were halfway home and somebody, anybody seen Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was. Let's go check with the cousins. Oh, we didn't see him, whatever. We better go back. In Sonora, lived in Tuolumne, which is 11, 12 miles away. They left church, shut down the lights on Sunday night, got in the car, drove home, and it was custom, and we used to join them a lot on Sunday night. 
would sit down and have something to eat. Sunday meal, Sunday night meal was not before church, it was after. It was just a preacher thing, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're going, where's Star? That was their son. He was still in church asleep under the pew. <laughs> they drove back, found him. He didn't know they'd been gone for two hours. Anyway, Jesus' parents had this encounter. And listen to what she said, Mary said. Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. I could add, not that we checked for you when we left. But I'm not going to add that. And Jesus says, why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then listen to this verse. It's in verse 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and listened and was obedient to them. I'm sorry. You're just people. I'm the son of God. He didn't pull that at all. He went home and was obedient to them. Think about it a little farther when they were at a wedding that mom was helping set up. They're out of line. What do you want me to do about it? You're on. I am. You'll notice that Jesus didn't assume that. He, he waited until he was released by his mother. Isn't that interesting? Think of Joseph. He served in prison. That wasn't a cool thing to do. And the prison was blessed because, and, and the, the leader of the prison, the, the warden, if you will, benefited from his leadership. Look what happened. Look at the ultimate result. He was given authority over Egypt. And listen to this. This is the key. He functioned with supernatural Daniel, he served obediently under an unrighteous king. But look what happened. Ultimately, he was given great authority in Babylon. And guess what else? He enjoyed amazing supernatural power. Spiritual power is entrusted to those that are the most submitted. Number three. Spiritual revelation and maturity accelerate as we accept the principle of submission. You know the story, Matthew 8, about the Roman centurion? Yeah. Who said, my servant's at home, he's paralyzed in terrible pain, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. The centurion, who understood something about authority, said, you don't need to come. I'm not worthy of your visit. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus said in verse 13 of that passage, Go back home because you believe that it has happened. There is an incredible illustration of what happens when we understand authority. And when we submit to it, we experience a spiritual acceleration, if you Here's what I find interesting about that. This centurion 
knew more and understood more about how God operated than those that were walking close to him. This is a painful thing, but I'm going to read it. Many people spend their lives saved, but spiritually stunted because they do not accept the reality of spiritual authority. Number four, submission to authority brings God's favor, blessing, and protection. It's throughout the scripture. We know children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6. Um, John 14 says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. What is that? all of that saying? Those who submit will have a supernatural revelation of who Jesus is. Submit yourselves one to another in love, the scripture says. The caveat there is for wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Every translation leaves out the own husbands. That people say, oh, that's a submission thing and women are supposed to be submitted to men. No. Everyone in the body of Christ is to be submitted to one another. Oh, by the way, ladies, don't go submit to that other guy. Does that make sense? John 14. All who love me will do what I say. What's that? Submission. Submission. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. God interprets submission as love and responds accordingly. I probably should quit right there. Quit while I'm but I can't. Let me give you quickly four tests. Four tests of submission to authority. First is the arrogance test. The arrogance test. Do you think David had that one? He's having to submit to Saul. If I say arrogance and Saul, would those two kind of go together? Now, I don't have time to read all of the scriptures that are referenced there. But David was faced with the challenge of this arrogance test. And he had to make a righteous response. And finally Saul consented. David's response, he knows he's anointed king. He knows that Saul is in sin and he is wrong about Goliath and a whole bunch of other things. However, David makes a righteous <coughs> appeal to the king's negative response and also makes the statement, your servant. Think about that. I know I've been anointed king. I know the spirit of God has been pulled from you and it's been placed on me. He doesn't choose to show that card. Instead, he uses a righteous appeal, and as a result, Saul says, okay. David knew this. Without Saul's blessing, God would not accompany him into battle. Amen. 
See, Satan tempts us. Listen to this. This is the key of this whole abuse test. Satan tempts us to see ourselves as superior. Which then provides justification for rebellion to authority. You're getting a lot today. It's really true. You think about that. The whole sin of comparison. Who's the one that does that? Satan is the one who's always bringing up the comparison. Well, why should you listen to them? Because look at your pet. You're smarter, you're better looking, you have a greater following. There, there's always something that there's a point of comparison. That's why comparison is a sin. Two of Jesus' top three disciples. When Jesus says to Peter, this is going to happen to you. Instead of saying, wow. What's he respond with? No, no, no. no what about him? <laughs> what's going to happen to him? And Jesus says... That you will be none of your business. You take care of you. I'll take care of him. Satan tempts us to see ourselves as superior. Just remember this Satan fell through pride and he rebelled against God. Adam and Eve fell through pride. Here's the key pride is always at the heart of rebellion. So, what do we need to do? Admit our need for authority. If for no other reason authority exists to cultivate humility and to keep us from pride's destruction. The second test is the abuse test. Saul tries to kill David out of jealousy. What was David's righteous response? Run. Run. Was a righteous response. Now he could have put it on YouTube video or social media. Here's a video of me being anointed by Samuel. Here's the Spirit of God coming on me. Oh, and here's here's a secret video I just discovered of when God tells Saul the Spirit of God's removed from you. See, so I'm obviously the guy. Thank you, Chris, for seeing that. <laughs> Saul tries to kill David, Samuel 19. David's response, flee. Now listen to what Satan didn't do. Please get these. He didn't become a passive target. He didn't become a passive target. Why is that important that we understand it? 43 years as a pastor, which means 43 years of people knocking on the door, coming in the office and wanting counseling. Particularly about marriage. And I've counseled couples or individuals in a relationship that were in an abusive relationship. Who had held over their head, well, you're to be submitted. That's abuse. There's nothing in the Bible that says stand there and be abused, become a passive target. David, I'm not going to keep playing the harp if he's going to keep throwing spears at me. He might get better. The other side of it is he didn't kill Saul and assume the front. We have to recognize all authority is imperfect except God's. 
And he expects us to submit even when we might suffer under that authority. 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3 tell us about that. I'll read briefly 1 Peter 2. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's God's will that you live honorable lives, and those honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you're free, yet you're not yet you're a God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now, can I get into this? Because I know some of you are thinking about it. how do we differentiate between suffering and abuse? I'm going to use the term discomfort versus damage. There are times that God will challenge you to stay under an authority relationship even though it's uncomfortable because there's a reason that you might be there. And here's what the reason might be. Are you a redemptive presence? Are you a redemptive presence? Please hear what I'm saying. Chris and Vivi are going to love this next term. Or are you an enabling presence? And if you're in an enabling presence, you're creating a downward spiral that, that supports that negative behavior. That's abuse. Are you experiencing divine grace to endure? I think every one of us can think of a job where we had a boss that was less than stellar. In many cases, they're following the pattern that they were taught under. They're abusive and they don't know it. What do you do? If God gives you grace and you can stay and be a redemptive force, then do it. If it is destroying your spirit and your life, cow jobs. <laughs> we literally have thousands of jobs that no one will apply for. If possible, according to, to 1 Peter 2 and 3, we should seek to redeem authority figures in our lives through our love and respect for them, even when they don't deserve it. However, even Jesus himself withdrew at times to keep from being harmed. When he was crucified, it wasn't the first time they were trying that. No, no, that's right. They wanted to throw him off a hill one time. So how do we righteously deal with abusive authority? Well, if it's your boss, appeal to a higher level of authority if you can. Or here's some great biblical truth. Change jobs. But whatever you do, don't stay and cause a rebellion. Now, if it's serious or criminal activity is taking place, then call authorities. Now I'm going to tell you what to do if I'm this way. What are you, if you're in a church or spiritual leaders, appeal to a higher authority. If you're in an abusive church and it has a hierarchy, appeal to a higher authority. I'd love to tell you who our district supervisor is, but they keep changing them so much I can't remember who they are. But I know 
know Jeff Young just up the road is our regional pastor, and he's also on the board of directors. Call him and say Mark's a pain. <laughs> Let me give you his number. The other thing you can do is you can leave the church. But whatever you do, wherever you are, don't stand cause of rebellion. What if you're in a relationship with an abusive parent or abusive authority figure? Appeal to the other parent or a safe authority figure. Sometimes you have to call the police. I remember the time I thought I was a hero and walked in between a husband and wife and a knife. Ooh. <laughs> All right, hello. One eight hundred, get over here and get me out of here. Right. What if an abusive spouse? Well, first of all, make it clear you're not going to tolerate it. If it's a serious threat, or continue to separate yourself. Now, am I saying divorce? No, but separate. Create space. You can communicate your commitment. But you need to get help, and you need to become accountable. And when that happens, and when you restore trust, not just repent, oh, I'm sorry, I'm never, yeah, you've got to prove it. Right. If they get help, you see a difference, stay in marriage. Participate in the process of restoration. If not, you might have to wait a couple of years. Why am I saying wait a couple of years before you go find somebody else? Because you don't want to take that mess into another relationship. Right. Number three. Well, I've been doing a lot of meddling today. The advantage test. First Samuel 24 talks about that. David, in this story, had every advantage over King Saul. But he wouldn't use it. Just like we all have advantages that we may have over others. But we must never use them as an excuse for rebellion. What were David's advantages? Well, he was more popular. How do I know? They wrote a song. Saul has done his thousands, but David's killed ten thousand. David had greater intelligence. But when we have greater intelligence, we're to use it to serve, not for self-promotion. David was an anointed person. He was gifted of God. And the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, so he had a double advantage. We can have spiritual gifts. David had spiritual gifts of revelation, of favor, and of blessing. At this point in, in time, David had greater physical ability. It's hard to imagine you think of Saul being this head above everybody else, but Saul's older now. And he's lived a life that's taken uh, some uh, mileage off of him, or added some miles. David's younger. He's stronger. He's better looking. He could have physically overpowered Saul. What are other advantages we can possess? Might be financial, might be our connections politically. Listen to this. God expects us to use our advantages to serve those above us. All of us are superior in some way to those that were under their authority. Test number four, the association test. This is in 2 Samuel 1. 
without going into a great length of the story, you know Saul died. He did not want to die. He'd ask his servant to take a sword. I'm not going to do it. Somebody, however, views this as an opportunity, thinking I'll be in great favor. So he comes in, and this is in uh, 2 Samuel 1, 1 through 16. David the waiting king. God 
because he had the right responses at the right time. God will bless us when we have the right responses in the right time. Next week, we'll conclude this because David's not perfect. And we'll talk about David and whisper of pride. And how him listening to that whisper hurt his nation. And how every one of us has experienced the whisper of pride. So, Father, thank you for your truth today. Thank you for your word. Help us to be righteous responders. Waiting for your time. Waiting for your direction. Waiting for your blessing. Waiting for your anointing. So that we can step into the place that you have ordained for us. And we can do so in a righteous way. And be exalted and lifted up. Because you are exalted and lifted up. Well, thank you for it. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you his peace. God bless you. God bless you.